0: cystic fibrosis. So I call this who cares and why care. Um, And I'm going to explain my context of that that, uh, title now. So today we're just going to talk a little bit about what we know about CF and oral health. Spoiler alert, not a lot. Um, A little bit about tooth decay, gum disease, acid erosion, which are those big dental diseases that maybe you should be thinking about or keeping an eye out for. Um, I'm going to talk specifically about the effects of drugs for osteoporosis um, because I think that's going to be a big issue coming down the road. Um, A little bit about developmental defects of enamel and some pictures so that if there's any parents of kids with CF there you know what you're looking for um, in your kids teeth or adults with these defects. We'll talk a little bit about what they look like and what can be done. And then finally a very brief mention about why oral health is important if you're going to be a candidate for a solid organ transplant. So just in terms of context, there there's very few studies um, in the literature about the oral health of people with cystic fibrosis. The ones that we do have were mainly conducted in the 1980s. And as you guys are really familiar with, uh, the life expectancy was really different back then. Um, Certainly here in Ireland in the 1980s, the life expectancy was late teens, early 20s. Um, And for that reason, all the studies were conducted looking at kids and teenagers with CF rather than adults. And now that has dramatically changed, which is absolutely fantastic, which is why it's really exciting time to be uh, involved in this kind of research. So those studies were focused mainly on dental caries because dental decay is what kids tend to get. And they were sibling studies. So it was comparing kids with CF to their non CF siblings. And what those studies showed was that the kids with CF had less dental decay than their siblings so it was thought that because these kids were taking continuous penicillin that that was affecting the bacteria in the mouth that's associated with dental decay however um things have really changed since the 1980s as i mentioned there's been massive progress in the pharmaceutical management of cystic fibrosis totally changed life expectancy and quality of life so now you'll see in the research, and you guys know a lot better than me, there's a real new interest in the normal, boring, chronic diseases that the general population worries about, and looking at those among people with cystic fibrosis. Because it's all about maintaining, as well as that, you know, um, improving life expectancy, it's also about the quality of life. Um, and also as a society, and in this social media age, oral health and maybe more so the appearance of teeth is held in high regard so a lot of people I suppose look for that really perfect teeth you know that really perfect look and if you look at Instagram or you're looking at television it's perfectly straight white teeth and that pressure is there for the whole population and obviously for you guys as well. Um, so dental caries is dental decay, uh, tooth decay. So why is a uh, good oral health important for you so first of all this sounds obvious but the mouth is the start of your airway and over the past couple of years since i started the research project i'm working on now when i speak to respiratory consultants they're all they're always surprised that there's so little research on oral health um, because the mouth is the start of the airway and there's so many studies on like sputum and Uh, further down the airway, but you know, what about the mouth? It's important to have a regular dental practice for routine care and emergency care. And if any of you were looking at the CFRI um, conference there where Dr. Donald Chi from the University of Washington was talking, He did make a good point. The last thing you guys want to be doing is sitting in an emergency room, um, if you can avoid it. And certainly here in Ireland, for out-of-hours care at evenings and weekends, we have very... um, limited access to dental care out of hours. And a lot of people with dental infections end up going to medics who don't really know what to do about dental infections and sending people on to hospital. And as a vulnerable group, that's not where you want to be. But if you have a regular dental practice, you've got a much higher chance that they're gonna have an out of hours service that you can contact you as a person with cystic fibrosis may be at higher risk of certain oral diseases and most of these are preventable if they're detected early Um, dental infections and gum infections can cause issues for those with diabetes and we know cystic fibrosis related diabetes is common among your population Um, and also dental pain is very debilitating Uh, normal painkillers do very little for us Also, it is worth mentioning um, fewer and fewer patients will need a transplant, but solid organ transplant is more common for people with cystic fibrosis than it is for people without cystic fibrosis. And if you need a solid organ transplant, you will need to be certified as dentally fit. We'll mention this a little bit. If you take bisphosphonates for osteoporosis, again, hugely common, you want to avoid dental extractions. And again, I'll come back to that. And also you want your teeth to look good. It's really linked to our self-esteem and how we feel about uh, our overall appearance now, um, uh, dentistry. So uh, as Devon mentioned, we're doing a study in Cork and this was something actually that kind of came about from talking, uh, I was across from the University of Washington six years ago um, for a summer. And I met Dr. Uh, Donald Chi, and he said, oh, that's interesting. You're from Ireland because CF is quite common in Ireland. And I said, it is. Um, One in 23 people here in Ireland carry the gene for CF. And if you speak to an Irish person, um, they will know somebody with CF. It's it's very common here. So he was saying, well, I've been thinking about um, oral health and CF. Now, my past research was into... um, groups that were vulnerable in different ways so we'd say elderly people um people in residential care uh, people in stroke units and how vulnerable they were and how their oral health was provided and since then it was kind of in the back of my mind yeah cystic fibrosis it's it's so common in ireland and actually as a dentist i don't know a lot about it um So then once I started researching, I got further in and couldn't believe how little research there was. Uh, So I got onto Cystic Fibrosis Ireland and I was actually just wanted to speak to um, a couple of patient advocates just to understand a little bit more about how they access dental care, how they feel about going to the dentist. And actually the CEO of Cystic Fibrosis Ireland, uh, Philip Watt, came back to me and he said you know, this has been on the priority list for us in terms of research. And if you work up a proposal and submit it, um, you know, we we fund certain research projects. So Cystic Fibrosis Ireland got this off the ground with some seed money, um, and then my own university, University College Cork, chipped in, and then we had some pilot data, and we got a large grant from the Health Research Board to do a four-year study. To look at um, dental decay, gum disease, uh, the oral microbiome, so what bacteria are in your saliva, um, oral hygiene practices, diet, dental attendance habits, access to dental care among people with cystic fibrosis, and uh, to compare it to a control group. And my two PhD students working on this are Fiona and Niav, and they know way more about me uh, than me about all of this because they're really on top of it. So dental caries, what is it? I preempted that question. Um, tooth decay. So the official definition is bacterially mediated loss of tooth structure. So what's important about this is that you have to have bacteria present um, in order to for a cavity to develop. So a lot of people have that general understanding that sugar causes cavities and they don't understand the mechanism. And I always feel that when I explain, um, it's all adult patients that I treat. When I explain to patients what causes tooth decay, it changes how they think about their diet and what makes them uh, at risk of tooth decay. So I'm going to explain it. Um, So there was this theory that penicillin use throughout childhood reduced the caries risk in kids with CF. And that's because penicillin tends to kill off a bacteria called streptococcus mutans. Streptococcus mutans levels are 20 times higher in people with CF than people who don't have CF. Um, But as I say, penicillins kind of keep it under control. However, what Donald Chi pointed out when he did a review was that in the teenage years, there tends to be a reduction in penicillins that are prescribed, and it tended to change towards things like inhaled tobramycin, um, and as I said, the drugs change because of the concern about Pseudomonas aeruginosa, and then These antibiotics that teenagers and adults were on actually didn't suppress Pseudomonas or or didn't suppress streptococcus mutants anymore. So what Donald Chi Chi, uh, looked at in his review was that yes, kids with CF had less dental caries, but as it progressed through the teenage years and um, they actually had the same level of dental decay as people without CF. So it was starting to cross over um, or that protective effect was wearing off. And as I say, we just didn't have studies going be- into the 20s and beyond. So you need bacteria in your mouth to get decay. And you also need sugars um, fermentable carbohydrates. But the frequency of the sugar intake is key for your decay rate. So what happens is when you have sugar, the bacteria in your mouth feed off that sugar and they use it in their uh, metabolism. And a byproduct of that process is acid. So the normal pH of your mouth is roughly neutral. Would say it's about 6.5 to 7. So that's about neutral. Um, but the bacteria in your mouth, as soon as they get sugar, what they actually produce is acid. And that drops the pH of your mouth into the acidic zone. So you can see in this graph down here, and I'm not sure if my pointer is appearing, but um, your pH drops. So this is somebody having a sugary drink and following up 20 minutes afterwards. So somebody has a sugary drink and five minutes afterwards, their pH is gone right down to about 5 So that's actually a really big uh, drop because I know you were talking maths there, but the pH scale is a logarithmic scale. So a drop of one is a tenfold drop. I hope I got that right. Um, But the critical pH of enamel is 5.5. So what's the critical pH of enamel? The critical pH of enamel is the pH at which enamel starts losing mineral ions. So once your mouth gets acidic, And once it gets below 5.5 in your mouth, your teeth actually start losing calcium and phosphate ions. So they actually soften for want of a better word. Now, once the pH comes back up again, your your teeth can actually remineralize and they can take up some of those ions again. But if you imagine, this is called the Stefan curve, this, this graph, this is somebody having one sip of a sugary drink. And it takes 20 minutes for the mouth to come back up to the pH it was. But how many people take one sip of a sugary drink? They don't. So if you're having a cup of coffee um, and I don't want to make anybody feel bad out there for a cup of coffee with a sugar in it or a sweet, you know, something sweet um, honey or similar, it doesn't matter if it's natural sugar or artificial sugar, you'll get a drop in pH. And if you're sipping away at that cup of coffee for 45 minutes, The pH in your mouth will stay acidic until about 20 minutes after your last sip of that cup of coffee. So when I'm talking to uh, students in the dental school, I always tell them, you know, when you're studying and you're having a can of, uh, we would say, Leucozade, which is a sugary drink for energy, um, that if you drink it all in one go, that's not so harmful. But if you have the bottle next to you and you take a sip and you take a sip. And you take a sip and you could be grazing on that for a couple of hours that actually really puts your teeth in a very vulnerable position because they're staying in demineralization they're not getting a chance to come back into remineralization and that's what causes cavities so the frequency of the sugar intake is really key it's not just the amount of sugar you take in and i'm going to mention this a few times through my talk but you have to bear in mind i'm a dentist talking to you Obviously, your dietitian is going to speak to you about, um, you know, your calorie intake. And I know for a lot of nutritional supplements, you are told to sip them throughout the day because otherwise they fill you up too fast. So you have to balance this out against having a healthy BMI. But if you have a healthy BMI, and if you're somebody that's getting cavities, think that this could be the reason and discuss it with your dentist and with your dietitian. Um, so that's why frequency of, of sugar intake is key. I also commonly see it in like adults who give up smoking and next thing they get a packet of like polo mints um, because a lot of people when they give up smoking they they want to have something in their mouth. There's kind of an oral fixation and they might be sucking on one mint. And then when that mint is gone, they suck on another mint. And then when that mint is gone, they suck on another mint. And they go from having no decay when they were smoking to loads of decay nine months or a year after they quit smoking. So I think it's really important for people to understand that because it makes you think about how you take in sugars. This is a Venn diagram here, which shows what you need in place for a cavity to occur. So first of all, you need a susceptible tooth surface. So um, typically, in your back teeth, you have those grooves on top. You know, if you're eating raspberries, that's what a seed gets stuck in, and it's really annoying. are called fissures of your teeth and the fissure passion of your teeth is that deep groove that's where stuff gets stuck so if you have like a caramel or a toffee that's where it gets stuck it might you you know you might clear it from a lot of your mouth but hours later you still find a little bit of caramel stuck in that back tooth so that's a susceptible tooth uh, surface because it keeps the fermentable carbohydrate there for a long time and that's why dentists do fissure sealants, where we actually flow a layer of resin in to try and make that surface smooth and less deep. Um, but if you have uh, another susceptible tooth surface, tends to be at the top of your front teeth here, if you're having a lot of sugary drinks, because that's where the sugary drink um, sits against while you're drinking and that can be avoided by a straw and um, bacterial biofilm so that's why we brush our teeth we brush our teeth to disrupt the bacterial biofilm that's what plaque is it's that slimy coating and it doesn't matter what you eat or drink we all have bacterial biofilm that's present in everyone and if you totally remove it it'll be back within a few hours and um, so we brush our teeth to disrupt that bacterial biofilm because the longer the bacterial biofilm is not disrupted that changes the actual bacteria in your plaque so very early plaque is mainly um, gram positive cocci so they're not very damaging but as the bacteria sits there and sits there and sits there the plaque matures, we call it. So the bacteria become more anaerobic. So they're bacteria that don't actually need oxygen because they're in a thick layer of plaque now. And they're more harmful to our our gums, particularly. Um, You need time. So typically, uh, a dental lesion uh, or a dental decay starts off as a white spot lesion, like up here. So you can see how somebody might spot a cavity in their tooth down here because they're going to feel food getting stuck in it. There'll probably be a bad taste or a bad smell. But when you want to get the decay is right up here at this white spot lesion. Because that white spot lesion means that there's been a lot of demineralization, but it hasn't cavitated. It hasn't formed a hole. And the beauty of that is that it can be remineralized. So your dentist could apply, um, some topical things, and I'll talk about those in a minute, and they'll actually remineralize it. Or even if you have a white spot lesion and you keep applying fluoride toothpaste to it, it will remineralize. It may never go back to looking kind of uh, pearly colored. It may always stay as a white spot lesion, or sometimes it even turns a bit brown, but it won't turn into a hole. Um, And sugar substrate, which we discussed with the Stefan curve. Sorry, I'll just go up there for a second. So that shows kind of how we can prevent dental caries by knowing what you need to have for dental caries. So we can prevent dental caries by reducing our susceptible tooth surfaces, which is fissure sealants. Um, We can reduce our risk of dental caries by disrupting that uh, bacterial biofilm, which is brushing your teeth. Uh, We can reduce dental caries by reducing our sugar substrate, which again is going back not only to the amount of sugar but the frequency of sugar. And also, as I mentioned, the textures of those sugary foods. So uh, specifically with um, people with cystic fibrosis, you actually have a lot of risk factors for dental decay. You have to have a high calorie intake. And that can translate into frequent sugar intake and certainly talking to people in the adult CF unit in Cork, especially with the G modulators, which have to be taken with fat, I believe, um, the majority of them choose to take those G modulators with chocolate. Which is fine, it's just the frequency. Um, Oral nutritional supplements, I'll talk about in a minute, but again, they're high in calories, but some are very high in sugar, not all. Also, there is an impact of inhalers on the oral environment, and that does affect the um, biofilm. And also people with cystic fibrosis can tend to have a drier, stickier mouth, and that doesn't flush away um, food and sugary drinks from your teeth as effectively. So that prolonged sugar contact is there because of your kind of stickier saliva as well. You're far more likely to have developmental defects in your teeth, which I'll come back to. And reflux is so common. And like we spoke about sugar turning into acid, Well, your stomach acid is like a pH of one, which is really, really acidic. And if you have reflux and you have stomach acid coming into your mouth, the pH of your mouth is going to be down in that acid zone, regardless of sugar, nothing to do with sugar, purely because of reflux. Um, you also have competing healthcare needs. You have a lot of appointments. Um, and also, a lot of people in the CF have told me often in the evening they're just really tired, and toothbrushing before bedtime feels really hard. So, where does an oral hygiene routine fit in? And then there's cost. Um, again, there's a kind of, it depends on where you are, but certainly speaking in Ireland, there's a real financial barrier to going to the dentist. And there's a financial barrier towards some items of treatment. So certainly here in Ireland, um, at the time of the global recession, publicly funded uh, dental treatment was really cut back. So you couldn't even get as many fillings as you used to, but you could get extractions. So that meant that if you Financially, had to make a tough decision, and it was between having maybe a filling or a root canal treatment, or having the tooth pulled for free. Then the tooth was getting pulled, and so you know that that's really unfortunate. And also that's why I think the lack of research into the oral health of people with cystic fibrosis has been an issue, because those studies in the eighties showed, oh well, people with cystic fibrosis, you know, uh, dental disease isn't a problem. So then certainly in Ireland, people with cystic fibrosis aren't identified as a vulnerable group to get additional uh, resources there. So for anyone that really likes scientific reading, uh, there's a really really good paper by Donald Chi that I have up on the screen here and it actually outlines kind of those risk factors and it summarizes the the research that was done in the past but you know if you cut to the end it really says we need more studies and we specifically need studies looking at that transition into adulthood and adulthood. So preventing dental caries, you can redu- reduce some of your risk. So things like frequency of sugar intake, you know, that's in your control. Brushing your teeth, that's in your control. But you can't reduce all of your risk. So if you need to have uh, frequent sips of oral nutritional supplements, well, then you have to do that. But then if you have to have frequent sugar intake, we need to look at, well, how do you reduce your risk in another way? So that's uh, disrupting that plaque biofilm. Um or it could be looking at uh, additional things like uh, supplemental fluorides. So you need to balance reducing sugars with maintaining a healthy BMI. And that's why I think it's really important. And we've started working on it here in Ireland with dentists to teach them about CF because I think it's very unfair of a dentist to turn around and say, just cut out sugar because your dietary needs are more complex than that. Uh, Fluoride is evidence-based, it is effective and it is safe. And certainly if you're somebody who has to have frequent sugar intakes, then fluoride is something that can help to reduce your caries risk. A really simple piece of advice that's not very well known is uh, spit, don't rinse. So that's when you brush your teeth, Um, you should not wet your toothbrush. You should not rinse your mouth uh, with water afterwards. You should not stick your head under the faucet. The reason for that is fluoride toothpaste, like, uh, oh, I should not mention companies, but your standard supermarket toothpaste tends to be 1,450 parts per million fluoride. So when you brush your teeth, you have that fluoride there and that helps to remineralize your teeth. But if you rinse out with water afterwards, Then you've only had fluoride in contact with your teeth for maybe the two minutes that you're brushing. And actually very few people brush for a full two minutes. However, if you're brushing your teeth, especially last thing at night, you brush your teeth really, really well, last thing, you spit out, spit out as much toothpaste as you can, but you do not rinse. So whatever toothpaste is stuck to your teeth, stuck in those tricky fissures, stays there that's gonna work for hours and hours and hours to remineralize your teeth. So it's a really simple thing to do and it doesn't cost anything extra, spit, don't rinse. Do not use a mouthwash after brushing your teeth if you're at risk of dental decay because all you're doing is rinsing off that, you know, uh, super saturated fluoride toothpaste. Even fluoride mouthwashes, Tent of a concentration of something like two hundred and twenty-five parts per million, which is or five hundred parts per million fluoride, but it's an awful lot less than in toothpaste. So toothpaste is what you want to leave on your teeth for as long as possible. Um, sugar-free chewing gum through the day is good because it creates uh, stimulated saliva rather than unstimulated saliva. So stimulated saliva, when you're chewing something, tends to be um, more fluid washes your teeth better. So uh, it's a very positive thing. Brushing twice daily, but brushing before bedtime is so, so important, especially if you spit, don't rinse, because you will really get the benefit of that remineralization. And regular dental attendants to catch those white spots early before their cavities, because that means you're not getting a filling, you're getting something remineralized and ask your dentist if you benefit from additional fluoride. So your dentist will then ask you questions about like your water supply, if it's a public water supply, if it is fluoride in it, if it's well water, they'll ask you what toothpaste you're using, they'll ask if you use any mouth rinses, and they will look at your current kind of fluoride regime and see what would help. So I would often tell people if they're brushing morning and nighttime, And they're kind of still getting the odd cavity um, and we want to prevent it. Then I tell them in the middle of the day, maybe use a fluoride rinse, like after their lunch or something, but at a different time to brushing. And make sure your oral hygiene routine is achievable. Sometimes you can go to a dentist or a hygienist and they'll talk about brushing, flossing, uh, mouthwashes, water picks. Uh, It's just if it's not achievable, you won't do it. So start off with, if you brush twice a day and you can make that achievable, that's really, really positive. Oral nutritional supplements are commonly prescribed, certainly here in Ireland, for people who need to bring up their, their BMI. Um, so one of my PhD students, neave actually worked with the dietitian in the CF unit here in Cork, looking at commonly prescribed oral nutritional supplements here in Ireland. And she created an amber list and a red list So here in Europe, we have food labelling, and for things like sugar and salt and fat, foods are labelled either green, which is have as much as you want, yellow, which is a little bit of caution, and red is try to avoid. So for sugar, um, obviously none of these are in the green category because, you know, they, they have to provide calories, so they're going to have sugar in them. But some of them fall under amber and some fall under red. Now, I know this is a lot of small text, but if you look, for example, and these are all, some of these are shots, so they're small volume. But what she has done is kind of translate them all to 110 millilitres so we can compare. So if you look at the first one in the amber list, which is Frizubin, I bet you I've said that wrong. It's at 450 calories and it's 3.6 grams of sugar or one teaspoon of sugar. OK, so if you take Forti juice here, which is less calories, it's 300 calories. But it's 6.5 teaspoons of sugar instead of one teaspoon of sugar. So in terms of you can get your calories with these amber list oral nutritional supplements. Some of the issues we've had certainly here in Ireland is some of them are available um, on the public health service and some of them are not and I think it's only by doing research and combining this information that you can then uh, lobby the government to show why they should be funding with say the amber list or nutritional supplements rather than the red list. And um, so I think that's really, really interesting. And again, it was something that the dietitian in the CF unit found really interesting once they started working on it, because she was very much thinking calories, but then, and she was thinking about sugar for the patients with diabetes. But then when we talked about dental decay, you know, it's obviously beneficial to everyone to go on the lower sugar ones. Um, that booklet is actually available on um, the UCC Dental Hospital website. I have the link there, which is really long, but I can send it on um, for anyone that's interested periodontal disease so periodontitis is another word for gum disease it damages the soft tissue so we know gingivitis commonly bleeding gums and um, gingivitis is actually not the biggest concern to dentists because gingivitis is completely reversible so you look at these ads where somebody's brushing their teeth and they spit and next to there's blood panic for most people that's gingivitis irritate your gums, you brush your teeth a bit better for two weeks, completely reversible and nothing happens. 90% of the population will have it at some stage of their life. Periodontitis is the next step and that's when you have inflammation of your gums and then your body's immune system actually causes the bone around your teeth to start to get destroyed over time. That's not reversible. It is, however, painless, which is not a good thing. Because it's painless, uh, you're not actually aware of it until your teeth get wobbly. And at that stage, the bone is destroyed and there's very little that can be done. So it's really important to have an annual gum disease screening at your dentist, which is very similar, where they just use a little ball ended probe and check around your teeth and it will tell them if the bone levels are healthy or not. So a lot of the population get worried after these ads when they're like, oh, when I spit, there's a bit of blood. That just means brush better, brush harder, brush more often. That doesn't worry a lot of dentists, but it can be a sign of periodontitis, which is less common. But the only way of knowing is your dentist checking what the bone levels are around your teeth. And unfortunately, patients who lose their teeth due to gum disease are often not the best candidates for dental implants either, because uh, the same conditions that cause the gum disease cause peri-implantitis, which is an infection of implants. So periodontal disease and cystic fibrosis. So um, um, cystic fibrosis related diabetes is very common and poor glycemic control is a major risk factor for periodontitis. Uh, The other thing is genetics. Um, So we know some people never brush their teeth and they'll have gingivitis, but it never progresses to periodontitis. So why does it progress to periodontitis in some people? Well, we know if you have diabetes, that's you have a much higher chance of it moving to periodontitis. And also if there's a family history of gum disease or losing teeth. And there's also this bi-directional relationship where if you have gum disease, you can actually find it harder to get your diabetes under control um, because of the infection in your mouth. And one of my PhD students, again, Niav has done a systematic review on the studies that are out there there are very few studies out there. Um, However, Donald Chi and his PhD student, Ala, have done a a study on this, and I think there's going to be some publications coming out of that soon. So I think um, this is something that more evidence will be appearing for. So to prevent periodontal disease, There are different levels of susceptibility. Sometimes it's just unfortunate. Some people brush brush their teeth really well and they still get periodontitis. Some people don't brush their teeth at all and they never get it. But certainly you should have extra caution if there's a family history of tooth loss or if you have diabetes. Um, And the safest thing is an annual periodontal screening by a dentist. Uh, It's well worth getting an oral hygiene program from a dental hygienist. there are some studies that show that electric toothbrushes are more effective than manual, but then electric toothbrushes, some people don't use them the best or because they have a really small head, you have to spend longer brushing your teeth to do it right. So if you're tired in the evening and you find your brush better with a manual toothbrush, you know, because you do it faster, the best toothbrush is the one that you will use. Um, and also change your toothbrush regularly or change the head of your electric toothbrush regularly because it is a reservoir of bacteria when you're in the aisle of the pharmacy and you see all of these oral hygiene products, you know, I, I mean, don't guess. It is worth, um, next time you go to your dentist, bring in your toothbrush, your toothpaste, your mouthwashes, whatever you use, bring it with you and say, are these good products for me? Or is there anything that would be better? Because some of these products are tailor-made for patients who are at risk of periodontal disease or gum disease. And some of these products are for patients who are at particular risk of dental decay. And some of these are for like sensitive teeth. And there's no point in using the product that's wrong. You may as well use the one that's best for you. So next time you're at the dentist, bring in a bag with the stuff you're using um, and ask them for advice. Because I know from speaking to pharmacists here in Ireland, they actually don't know the right advice to give often. The other thing is dental erosion. So this is when you lose some of the surface of your teeth due to acids that you eat or drink. So that's if you're having a lot of like orange juice, smoothies, um, a lot of people who have hot water with lemon in it. Or if you drink lots of water during the day, but you put lots of like chunks of lemon and lime in it, that is acidic Um, or else, you know, far more damaging, the acid coming up from your stomach. So gastroesophageal reflux disease is really common among people with CF. And most people are aware of it, but it's sometimes silent. And in particular, some people, the acid only comes up into their mouth when they're lying flat at nighttime. So sometimes they're not aware. And if you look at the front of your teeth, they'll look absolutely fine. But if a dentist looks at the back of your teeth, this is what they'll see. So you can see these triangles of yellow shining through or on the molars here, you'll see these islands of yellow shining through. So the outside of your tooth is enamel, that's pearly white. When you get through the layer of enamel, you're into dentine. Dentine is much softer, much more easily damaged. It's a darker yellow color, and it has a more direct connection to the nerve. So um, once the enamel is lost, you're not getting the enamel back. So again, this is something that the earlier it's picked up, the better, but very often, You don't know what's happening unless the dentist picks it up, or else you may see the edges of your teeth start to chipping because they're actually getting thinner and thinner or your teeth start looking shorter. It's so difficult as a dentist to replace the lost tooth structure. We can use composite bonding, like tooth color filling material, crowns, but you're into expensive dentistry. And the one guarantee I can give you as a dentist is whatever I put on your teeth, it will fail. will fall off it will crack nothing lasts forever if you're buying like a dishwasher or a car you don't expect it to last forever dental materials don't either composite bonding on average lasts five to seven years a crown will last on average 10 years so the younger you are getting this dental work done, the more times you'll have to pay to get it redone. So the most important thing is that once this is detected and hopefully early, it's getting that disease under control. So where is the acid coming from? If it's your diet, then that's something that can be found out. But if it's from your stomach, then then you need to liaise with your... Um, with your medical practitioner to get that under control. And what I have noticed here is that people tend to be put on a proton pump inhibitor, which is a drug for reflux. Um, a Omeprazole is the most common one here, but the dosage can actually be too low. Um, and if it's not getting the reflux, like when I ask patients, oh, and is the reflux gone away? They'll say, oh, it's, be- it's better. But we don't want it better, we want it gone. So um, it is worth, you know, keeping that dosage under review because uh, you may have to go on a higher dose. Um, It's likely if you have dental erosion and it's ongoing and it's rapidly destroying your enamel, your teeth get really sensitive to hot and cold drinks. So that's a warning sign. If the erosion is halted, the enamel doesn't grow back, but the dentine toughens up a bit and that sensitivity disappears. So then you as the patient, me as the dentist, can get more comfortable that, okay, we, we have the erosion under control. Um, the damage is actually compounded by brushing. So if you have dental erosion, and we'd say if you feel, oh, acid has come up into my mouth and you get that sour taste, your teeth are softened by the acid. And the temptation is there is to brush your teeth, to get rid of that horrible taste. But actually all you're doing is brushing away now with a really abrasive agent you're brushing away that soft enamel and you're not giving it a chance to remineralize. So if there's been acid in your mouth from your diet or from your stomach, you shouldn't brush your teeth for at least 30 minutes. So again, speak to your dentist about therapies that may help with erosion, but there is no substitute for eliminating the acid and getting that under control. So you want to minimize if you have reflux, you want to minimize any other sources of acid like fizzy drinks and fruit juices. If you're aware of a sour taste in your mouth, do not brush your teeth. If you've just had a glass of orange juice, do not brush your teeth rinse with the fluoride rinse or rinse with milk or rinse with water and you'll know the triggers for your reflux if it's fried food spicy food or whatever but again don't brush your teeth until you know it's 30 minutes afterwards and as always when i discuss diet i have to put up my hand and say remember i'm a dentist i'm not a dietitian and your dietitian knows what's best for you in terms of your overall nutrition So bisphosphonates are a drug uh, that are currently the first line treatment for osteoporosis. Initially, we started seeing them in uh, patients with metastatic bone cancer and uh, patients with osteoporosis who tended to be in their 60s and 70s. Um, However, I'm seeing now in the CF unit that people in their early 20s are ending up on these bisphosphonates. So these are alandronic acid, aldrinate, risodrinate, uh, and the proprietary names are fosamacta, actinel, boniva. Um, and these inhibit bone resorption, which is good. So that kind of um, stops your bone remodeling and slows down any osteoporosis that you may have as a side effect of steroids. However, these drugs um, bring a risk of a condition called osteonecrosis of the jaws. Osteobone necrosis dying of the jaws, what a horrible name for something and essentially it means islands of bone in your jaw can die off if they're damaged. Um, if you're looking in the literature, you'll also see it uh, referred to as BRONGE, which is bisphosphonate related osteonecrosis of the jaws. And if you have to have a surgical procedure like an extraction, a wisdom tooth out, a dental implant placed, gum surgery, then what may happen is that the bone doesn't actually heal. It dies off and then the gum can't grow over it and the bone can continue to die. Um, and the uh, the actual diagnosis of branch is when you have exposed bone for more than eight weeks. And it can be very painful and it's really difficult to manage. You always know if something has lots of different names like this does, we don't know what we're doing about it. And, and this is one of these. We really, we don't know whether people should uh, have antibiotics before the extraction. We don't know if they should have antibiotics after the extraction. We don't know if they should... Rinse with something before the extraction. We don't know if we should suture the extraction socket. We don't know. So we don't know why some people get this, but we know what puts you at risk. So ideally before starting bisphosphonate drugs. So if you know you're starting drugs for um, osteoporosis, other than things like calcite which is fine. Visit your dentist, explain that you'll be starting and what they can do is look and see, do you know what, actually you have an impacted wisdom tooth. We may as well get that dealt with now before you start that drug rather than waiting for when it's a complication. It gives your chance, your dentist a chance to do a detailed exam, some x-rays and decide if anything should be done before starting the drug or in the early days of being on the drug, because the risk isn't there at the start. If you're on these drugs, it's important to let your dentist know and remind them prior to any procedure. Ideally then, if you're on these drugs, you're probably on them for life. Sometimes, sometimes there's a bisphosphonate holiday, but they're in your system for, for a long, long time. So if you're on bisphosphonates, you do not want to have a dental extraction. So that means you do not want to have dental decay. You do not want to have gum disease. So you really, really need to stay on top of your, um, your dentist visits, your oral hygiene and all of that. So the risk of this condition is lower on oral bisphosphonates than it is on IV bisphosphonates. So if you're getting intravenous bisphosphonates, you're you're much higher risk. The risk is fairly low in people who are taking oral bisphosphonates for less than five years. And that's why I was saying your dentist has time to get your mouth healthy, even if you've started these drugs. But the risk is higher in patients who are taking bisphosphonates and systemic steroids. So if you're taking steroid tablets, not necessarily inhalers, but tablets. Then certainly you are at risk of this condition. So bisphosphonates are, use, are useful drugs. We don't advise anyone to stop them prior to a dental procedure because they have a long half-life. So this means if you have bisphosphonate drugs and you stop, you know, sometimes people who are on aspirin or a blood thinner may stop the blood thinner before an extraction, um, and that's fine because it's out of their system and you do the extraction not for bisphosphonates bisphosphonates get built into your bones and they're there for for a very long time even if you stop taking them so do not stop taking them you're on them for a reason so this side effect is uncommon this is not a scare tactic however bisphosphonates are a, reg, are a you know a, a fairly recent drug and in the general population we see people starting these in kind of their you know 60s or 70s but I'm seeing some people with cystic fibrosis starting them in their early 20s. So we don't know what the effect is going to be of people taking bisphospholates for that long. Treatment of this condition, if it does happen, is really, really difficult. So it's much better to prevent it and just not need an extraction. Um, so one thing I'll say, yes, don't stop it. Um, but again, if there are any doctors listening to this, and if you're thinking about prescribing these drugs, please tell your patients to go to their dentist. So DDE's, DDE's are developmental defects of enamel. And these are a few pictures of what they look like. Um, And what essentially happens, uh, these can occur for loads and loads of reasons and they're common in the general population. And it's something that disrupts the crown of the tooth calcifying when it's forming in your jaws. Um, so I'm not a pediatric dentist, I'm an adult dentist, so I am always a little bit vague about the calcification dates of teeth. But especially before six years of age, your your teeth, which have not even come into your mouth yet, are calcifying. And if something happens that disrupts that process, you can get these defects of enamel and your teeth can have this uh, disappearance. So it can be something like a virus, a bacteria, it can be some... Um, it can be some drugs that are given um, so this is really really common in people with cystic fibrosis it comes in lots of different forms so we can have areas like up here where the enamel didn't form at all from this point onwards and this is just dentine. Dentine is really soft and really um, so, so vulnerable to decay because the critical pH for dentine is actually close to neutral. Um, So any sugar is going to cause this uh, to decay. You can have this kind of pitted appearance with lots of kind of a, a very textured surface to the tooth. You can have these white kind of islands. You can have these milky white lines. Some of them where you don't have the enamel formed at all, they are at risk of decay. And some of them just don't look Um, the way people want their teeth to look. So they're common, but extremely common in people with cystic fibrosis. In the study we're currently doing, I don't have the figures yet, but nearly every patient I'm looking at, I can see some DDE's. There's different forms and varying severity. It may be very mild, it may be very severe. Typically, the main concern is appearance, but some forms of the defect make the tooth more susceptible to decay. As as soon as the, Because this happens when the tooth is developing in the jaws, you know this isn't decay because as soon as the tooth comes into the mouth, the parent will see it in the child's tooth. So as soon as it's seen, there should be a referral to a pediatric dental specialist who will look at the type of DDE that it is and determine um, what the risk is. Very commonly, if you see the defects on the upper front teeth, It will also affect all of the um, first molars as well. So some pediatric dentists will want to very quickly put some uh, stainless steel crowns on these teeth as soon as they come through. So they occur when the crowns of the teeth are developing in the jaws, which is under 10 years of age, but particularly under six, which is why in the study we're doing now, and I'm seeing loads of people with cystic fibrosis with DDE's, we have a registry of a number of hospitalizations that um, kids with CF have had, and we're going to see if there's a link there. So the upper front teeth tend to be affected by an event that happens before four years of age. So when the tooth erupts into the mouth, you'll see it straight away. That's how you know it's not decay. It's there from day one. It doesn't develop a couple of years later. That's something different. So the tooth may appear with brown patches, white patches, mottled, kind of patchy appearance all over, faint milky white lines, actual islands where um, enamel is missing. So if teeth are hypomineralized, they'll be more susceptible to decay and a dental intervention will be needed. If the teeth are not hypomineralized, um, but the appearance is unsatisfactory. There are a range of options from acid abrasion to bleaching to veneers. So this is a treatment here, you can see in picture A, these, um, again, teeth that we would say just have a patchy appearance. So A and B, the top two pictures are the before pictures. And the bottom pictures here are after treatment um, with a resin infiltration system. So. What this actually the dentist can do is apply an acid to the teeth to make them a bit more porous and then apply this clear resin varnish that gets sucked up into the enamel. And what it does is it changes the translucency of the enamel um, because these white patches look white because of the way they're reflecting light. Once the resin gets in there and hardens immediately after the treatment, um, those white islands can disappear. This is effective on white patches, not so much brown patches. This is another one here um, where you can see on top these islands where the teeth just look patchy and again straight after um, it's called icon treatment is the brand that we use here but it's a resin infiltration system and this is different to Fisher sealants because it has to be um, a resin that can actually get sucked up into enamel Um, and again here you can see some of those white patches and treatment can be very effective. Treatment may take up to three visits of treatment, but it's effective. And the most important thing is it doesn't involve cutting your teeth. So you are not damaging your teeth in any way. And the best teeth you have are the ones that you were born with. Um, We don't like, I mean, when necessary to improve appearance, we can put crowns on teeth or veneers on teeth. But as soon as we pick up a drill to your tooth, we are shortening its lifespan. So where possible, these kind of interventions are called minimally invasive treatments and they're much, much better. Bleaching is another option. So you can see the before bleaching here and the after bleaching. It's not that, you know, perfect toothpaste to add teeth, but it's much, much better, isn't it? Um, The bleaching, I think I have a few more notes on, I do. So if you're looking for this kind of a result here, you don't want one visit of in-office bleaching. What you need is a home bleaching kit. So a custom tray made by your dentist. Bleach, that's a low concentration bleach because you won't be using this for two or three nights. You could be bleaching your teeth for six weeks up to three months to get to the color that you want. Um, so it's prolonged. And also what I like about the home bleaching is that you're in control. So you decide how white you want your teeth to get. But I always warn people, the white spots appear whiter initially, so it can look worse before it gets better. Um, and also, no matter what kind of bleaching you have, bleaching always relapses. Your teeth always get darker over time always. So if you pay for in-office bleaching, you're going to have to pay for it again, you know, sometime down the road. But if you have those custom trays that your dentist makes you for home bleaching, then you can just buy more tubes of bleach from your dentist. And it's far more cost effective in the long run than that, you know, if they get a little bit darker six months later, you can just bleach for two nights and they come back up again. So that's what I, I recommend. So the final word of developmental defects of enamel is that they can have a really negative psychological effect on anyone but particularly kids and and teenagers. And as I say, there's a lot of research on DDE's because they're common in the general population. They're uh, associated with celiac disease. They're associated with kids who actually had an accident to their baby teeth and it affected the development of their adult teeth. And we know that it can be a source of bullying for kids and teenagers. So there is treatment available to protect vulnerable affected teeth if they're vulnerable to decay. And there's treatment available to improve the appearance. And this treatment can be done at any age. It doesn't have to be as soon as the teeth erupt. If you're 40 and you've never liked the appearance of your teeth because it has this patchy appearance, you can try bleaching, you can try resin infiltration and the treatments are, are effective. So um, don't be afraid to do it. And very, very briefly, and I'm coming to the end, solid organ transplant. Um, you will t- be told that you need to be dentally fit for a solid organ transplant but what does dentally fit mean? Um, Does it mean a perfect set of teeth with no fillings, root canal treatments or anything like that? Because if you have a root canal treated tooth, essentially what the transplant surgeon or the transplant team are asking me as a dentist is, oh, can you tell us that this root canal treated tooth is never going to flare up into an infection? And I don't know. Um, So then if I'm nervous, I might say, well, do you know what? It's safer if I just extract that tooth. So, it's different if somebody's going for a hip operation or a heart operation. The bacteria in your mouth, uh, they really like to stick to artificial materials. So, artificial hips, artificial heart valves. So, that's why patients have to be dentally fit for those surgeries. But then, six months after the surgery, we don't need to worry about it. But if you're having a solid organ transplant, you're going to be immunosuppressed lifelong afterwards. So that's why your transplant team don't want you having dental infections um, in six years time, in 16 years time. So you can see how that's hard for a dentist to have a crystal ball and say, these teeth are going to be fine if they've had a large filling or if they have a crown or a root treatment. So sometimes um, the default can be, well, let's just you know pull any tooth we're not short of. And that's not great because you're losing a lot of good teeth. Um, And also, if you have something like periodontal disease, gum disease, treatment of that can actually take months. It can't be done in a week. So sometimes because you can't get on the transplant list till you're gently fit, the default ends up being to extract a load of teeth. Um, And then you might think, oh, look, I'll get that done because I need to go on the waiting list and I need to get my transplant done. But then after you have your transplant done and now you're missing loads of teeth, you mightn't be a great candidate for advanced dental treatment, like surgical placement of dental implants, at things that can introduce infection. So if there's any chance at all that a transplant is on the horizon, you know, be it in five years time, ten years time, link in with your general dental practitioner and start getting everything right then. And also, if your general dentist knows you and knows that you're a regular attender and that you are brushing your teeth, they're more likely to give benefit of the doubt that your teeth will be okay in 16 years time. If I have a patient coming to me for the first time and my first time seeing them, they're telling me, I need to get this, I need a letter saying I'm dentally fit so I can go on a transplant list. I don't know if you brush your teeth, I don't know if you care about your teeth, I don't know. So I'm far more likely to say, oh, I think six of these teeth have a questionable prognosis because I'm covering myself. But if you've been coming to me for years, I know you, you know me, I may make different decisions and um, because I know you better. So everyone is different and um, you have lots of competing priorities. Um, it's very easy for me to say, brush your teeth, floss and do all the rest. I know you have lots of other things to do, but I suppose what I would say is important is get to know and trust a dentist and let them get to know you. Um, When your dentist knows you better, they'll do a better job at tailoring your care to your need and your level of risk because they build up a better picture of you. You know more about cystic fibrosis than your dentist, so don't be afraid to help them out. And so, if your dentist feels you need, you know, they need to prescribe you an antibiotic for something and they're nervous about prescribing it because they see the list of medications you're on, you know, it's very helpful to give them the name of your CF nurse so that they can actually contact somebody to to just double check that everything they're prescribing is correct. And you know more about CF than your dentist, you may need to remind them you're on a bisphosphonate. You may need to remind them that you may need a transplant at some point. And if you're immunocompromised, or even just as a person with CF, consider asking for the first appointment of the day because the dental unit water lines are at their cleanest at the very start of the day. If you're struggling lying completely back, if you find it claustrophobic and hard to breathe, just say it. They'll put you at a little bit of an angle. Um, We don't always have to use instruments to clean your teeth with lots of water pumping out of them. We can do it with more old fashioned but equally effective hand instruments. And if you only do one thing, brush twice a day with fluoride toothpaste and spit, don't rinse. Thank you very much. I've put up my email there if anybody has questions like at a later date and I've also put up our Twitter handle for our study and the email address for our CF study as well.